You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, it is Drew here with Josh and Connor talking all things MLS and just soccer in the United States and abroad. But before we get into another episode talking about soccer all over the world, I wanted to check in on you guys. Connor, I know it's been a pretty rough week on the soccer side of things for you, which we will definitely get into later in the episode. But outside of soccer, how was we your week? we have to get into it? We will eventually, oh, I swear. That's unfortunate. Uh, um, but I'm doing decent. Uh, I got a show tomorrow for assignment, and I have two features that are a part of it, and I am stressed uh, because it's currently getting edited by our editor for our final, hopefully, edit. But, yeah, it's anxiety's flowing, and that sucks. <laughs> but uh, just continuing on and ignoring the fact that Toronto got just absolutely decimated but I know you guys know the feeling of getting absolutely decimated this season so I can't feel too bad but Josh you had quite the eventful weekend uh, do you care to expand on that at all yeah I I'm doing well I am extremely exhausted I got back this morning from my friend's bachelor party there were, there were six of us. We got a cabin for the weekend up in the North Georgia mountains. It was a great time. We had tons of fun. It was a blast. I loved every second of it, but not a lot of sleep was had. And to top it all off, Friday morning started with a round of golf at 8 in the morning, which meant I had to wake up around 6.30 for that. And that's the – so I guess Thursday night – no, Wednesday night is like the last time I got like a really comfortable full night's sleep. So I'm very, very excited to be back in my own bed tonight. I cannot wait to go to sleep. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'm pretty exhausted. But I am also feeling really disoriented from not being in the cabin, being in North Georgia Mountains. There wasn't a lot of signal. And so I couldn't really follow any of the games that happened this weekend. So I'll be honest, I spent like the hour and a half leading up to us recording, like trying to watch MLS highlights from like all the games. I'm like, all right, what did I miss in this one? Whoa, I didn't even realize this score happened. So I've been all over the place. Can I ask, why didn't you nap today? (laughs) No, I did. I did. Believe me. I definitely took a nice, uh, actually, I meant to take like a 20 minute power nap because it was supposed to be the best naps for you, but I missed the start button on my timer and I just rolled over and took the nap. And so, fortunately, most of the nap took place during halftime of the Spurs game. So I didn't miss a lot of the Spurs game. But I definitely slept a little bit longer than I wanted to. So maybe that's uh, contributing to why I'm so tired. Maybe I didn't time the nap properly. But, oh, believe me, I napped. <laughs> <laughs> that's honestly fair. Very, very fair. It's been, I think, a hectic le- week for a lot of people. And I got to ask, how is the social distancing at the cabin? <laughs> But, I mean, from other people, it was great. Didn't didn't come across much people. It was a little busy on the top of uh, the peaks that we went to, uh, but we tried our best to sort of stay away from, from those crowds. But people were responsible. They were wearing masks and everything. Uh, once once there were too many people in the, the area, I'll say. But, Drew, how was your week this week? It was, it was pretty good, pretty 
run-of-the-mill Falcons broke my heart again yesterday, so that's just the usual at this point. Um, yeah, what else happens? School is school. We're about halfway through the semester. So midterms are wrapping up. Uh, Georgia plays football this weekend. Again, they were off last weekend. So Athens is kind of a buzzing place again. I think they have Kentucky on Saturday. So the campus is getting excited for that. Um, Georgia soccer had a game this weekend. I got to write something about that. They lost, which was unfortunate. And they play again this weekend. So on top of MLS and WSL, college soccer is going on. And that is a lot of fun to follow. Um, But yeah, besides that, kind of keeping up with the World Series. I don't know if you're watching it all, Josh, just because the pain it feels to watch the Dodgers play. I did see. Did you guys see the ending of game? Was insane. Four. That honestly yeah, might four. be the craziest ending I've ever seen to a sporting event in my life. One of the few times I got signal at the cabin was that night, and That's I just a good saw time like, to get signal. Yeah, everyone on my Twitter timeline was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like just lo- collectively losing their minds. So I did get to see that play kind of about the same time as everybody else, as opposed to a few days later. But man, that was I, my favorite comment on it was these athletes have spent hours upon hours of their lifetime training at these skills to become the best at what they do and here they are on the world stage in the world series at the pinnacle of their sport and here they are dropping balls and falling down all over the place so sports is a hilarious thing sometimes (laughs) that was a crazy weekend for sports it was the quadruple post hit as well that night on the field goal attempt, hit, I think it was right bar, bottom bar, left bar, bottom bar again, and out to, like, win the game in OT. It was insane. I think it was a college game that it happened in. Uh, and then the DK Metcalf run last night, that was insane. Cardinals that beat him, insane. though. That was awesome. I was pulling for the Cardinals. Yeah, that was it. Was like obviously they lost, but that run, yeah. like I can't get over how insane that was to go from turning like that run was cool, but uh, it didn't get me any fantasy points for Metcalf. So <laughs> you have Metcalf on your team. Yeah, he. So there, real, real quick sidetrack before we get into it. We there's a league of twelve of us, and we needed one more slot filled before the season. And one of our friends was like, "Hey, I've got a friend lined up. If not, I've got my mom as backup." Well. He ended up needing his mom to join the league, so I had to play her this week. And she has, like, the best team in the league. <laughs> and he's second, by the way. So the mother mother and son are, like, kicking everybody's butts. But I was I was leading her very by a very large margin to start. It was, like, 40 to 1 at the beginning of the day. And DK Metcalf and Jarek McKinnon and a couple other people happened. And so now she's going to beat me by about 30 to 40 points. So uh, my fantasy team also not doing so hot. But DK Metcalf, I wish that amazing play, amazing tackle could have netted me something because all he got was like five points. Just nothing happened for him. So that's too bad. It's so weird. Like I can't get over you guys in the States having actual like real sports with fans at games. Like it just, it boggles my mind to see that. Like Ontario... We had over a thousand cases yesterday. That's the most we've had in a long time. And Quebec's sitting at over a thousand, but I don't know where George's numbers are sitting currently in terms of infections. But just seeing like fans at the Georgia games and like people celebrating the Dodgers 
win. Like it feels so wrong in a way. Yep. I agree with you. <laughs> don't, don't like I it one bit. Was this past really quick. This past Atlanta United game was the first with fans, I think since the pandemic. Yeah. Yes. So why you would pay money to watch that game? I don't know, but Hey, that's cool stuff. And we'll get into it later. Um, but yeah, moving on to Europe, we had a couple performances from young Americans and Alfonso Davies. Um, Starting off, Serginho Dest, first ever American to start in El Clasico. Uh, unfortunately, Barcelona did lose 3-1, to one, but I thought he played pretty well. I didn't catch a whole lot, but it wasn't really a standout performance, but still cool. First American to play in El Clasico. Uh, on the bad news of it, Alfonso Davies picked up, I think it was his right ankle. Uh, first three minutes playing in the game, he's out for six to eight weeks. Um so wish him the best. It's always a consistent. We get to talk about how good he's done. So it's a super big bummer to hear him out for such a long time. Um, but a new record. Five Americans appeared in Champions League this week. Uh, Ethan Horvath, Serginho Dest, Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, and Gio Reyna. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught all those games or a little bit of those games. Uh, the performance that stuck out to me, which I think kind of stole the headlines, was Ethan Horvath's performance. I don't know who he's a keeper for. It's a Belgian team, I think. Club Bruges. Yeah, and he had that weird own goal that like hit the post and like came off his back and went in. But then after that, he had a super awesome performance and helped them win. So I don't know how much of the Champions League games you guys caught with those Americans, but was there any European performances from Davies or an American that stood out to you guys? I think the, the biggest takeaway from the week, because none of the players had a huge performance or anything definitely nothing standout that happened this week but seeing Polisic back and getting consistent minutes is good I think fans are starting to get a little concerned because Frank Lampard has been playing him on the right wing instead of the left wing in order to accommodate Mason Mount uh, which not a lot of people are fans of that I'm certainly not a fan of it he was tearing it up on the left side playing as an inverted weekend uh, winger all last season so just to move him out of position I feel like doesn't make sense especially since I mean, Pulisic was pretty much Chelsea's best player last year. But, yeah, Horvath, I mean, he really stole the headlines. I saw a video, I think it was oh, it was him, a short interview he did with some uh, media from the club. He was saying that he hasn't seen his family since December because of the pandemic and him being overseas. And so for him to get back into a game for the first time in months and come up with that big save for a Champions League match was really huge for him, and he was definitely overtaken with emotion. And, of course, not surprising at all, given everything he's been going through. So good for him. A lot of people are saying that he needs these good performances in order to get a good sale somewhere else because Bruges also has Simon Mingule, I think is how you pronounce his name. Thank you, Mingule. Who he's been he's been around. He's been he's been playing with some big clubs in the past before. So he's definitely a more concrete commodity than Horvath. He's definitely a proven product compared to Horvath, and I don't think Horvath could take the job from Mingule. So he needs these kinds of performances to hopefully get him a decent sale somewhere else. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mignolet used to play for Liverpool, right? I, I know it was a big club because I recognized his name. I just can't remember which club it was off the top of my head. I think it was Liverpool. I might be wrong. It was definitely a team in the Prem. Uh, and he's obviously a good keeper, but I think he might be getting up there in age. So 
maybe there's an opportunity there for Horvath. It's maybe a younger player to get some more time, but it's always good when you hear no-name Americans doing well uh, and Canadians as well. But yeah, I don't know. I don't really have much else to add to that. Uh, I feel like this is probably going to be a bit of a calmer episode than it usually is. Is I think we're all tired, <laughs> um, but It'll be fun nonetheless, especially when I get to cry about Toronto FC. But let's move on to the NWSL and some news surrounding them. Uh, Crystal Dunn was one of the big stories and she, when she was traded from North Carolina to Portland. Uh, I didn't know this. She joined her husband, who apparently is a trainer. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's a trainer for Portland. Okay. Yeah, so I guess it's good that they're reunited especially in the middle of a pandemic i wonder how much of a factor that was um but i also wonder how much of a factor the expansion draft was that's coming up this week uh or is it this week or when is the expansion draft i want to say pretty close i want to say early november so it might be this week if not this week not too far away yeah, so that'll be maybe that had something to do with the move because obviously she's a good player and it's interesting to see that move, especially when you look at how many Portland players have. But I want to do sort of a concept, I guess, that Drew came up with uh, where they're going to make their expansion picks. Uh, we have the list of U.S. women's national team players, uh, of which you're only allowed to select two total. Uh, and we have the list up here uh, from the Athletic article by Megan Linehan, um, or Meg Linehan, not Megan. Uh, that's my sister. Um, but Meg Linehan. Uh, so I guess I can run through each team and the players, and then we'll start with Josh, and then he'll jump to Drew uh, to make your two picks. We're going based off of who they think will be protected. Obviously, I'm not taking part in this because I don't follow the U.S. Women's National Team very closely. Uh, but to start off, Chicago Red Stars have Morgan Goutret. Hopefully, I said that right. Uh, Tierna, Tierna Davidson. Julie Ertz. Alyssa... Ooh, this is a lot Nair. of interesting... Nair. There we go. Nair. <laughs> uh, Casey Short. Houston have none. How did Houston have none? They have Rachel Daly, who's English, and they have um, Canadians. That's like Sophie Canadian Schmitt. FC, man, yeah. yeah and it works sure. for them, Challenge Cup champs. Hey, what can I say? Canadians' best soccer team on the planet. Um, North Carolina have Abby Dahlkemper uh, and Samantha Mewis. Uh, OL Rain have Rose Lavelle and Megan Rapino and Ali Long. Orlando Pride have Ashlyn Harris, Ali Krieger, Alex Morgan, who's currently on loan with Tottenham. Emily Sonnet. Portland Thorns of Crystal Dunn. Adriana French. French? French? French, yes. yeah, you got it. All right. Tobin Heath, Lindsay Horan, and Becky Sauerbrunn. Sky Blue have Carly Lloyd and Mal Pugue. 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 I, I apologize for butchering all these names, by the way. Uh, and Utah Royals have... Kelly O'Hara and Kristen Press and the Washington Spirit have none. Is keeper? I'm blanking on her name. 
Aubrey Bledsoe? Aubrey Bledsoe. There you go. Is she not on the women's national team? She's not. So this is the list according to the 2020 expansion document. The Athletic got the list. I think because Aubrey was just called into camp. So I think she's like, I'm not sure how exactly you classify a player, right? Because she's been called in before. But I guess she doesn't make the fully allocated list as far as expansion draft goes. But she's been called in. She's in the camp right now. And I think they have a couple friendlies coming up. So she'll play for the United States very soon for sure. Yeah, there might be some. I wonder if there's some uh, cap requirements. Like you have to have X amount of caps before you can get onto this list. That would be, yeah, that would make a lot of sense when you think about it. Like I will, comparing it to the NHL expansion draft, and you have to play a certain amount of games in order to be eligible to be selected. Um, but I mean, it's interesting that there's no requirement that you have to expose one player. But that's neither here nor there. Which one of you want to go first to make your expansion picks? Josh, you want to go? Yes. All right. So with my first pick, I would want to start with the back. I'd want someone a little older, a little more experienced with a lot of wisdom. Some, you know, you need that rock to help build your expansion team. Good example of that is LA United. They didn't select him in the expansion draft, but he was very key uh cornerstone of the of the franchise for a while that was michael parkhurst so with my first pick i would go with ashlyn harris goalkeeper from the orlando pride uh, again she's been to a few world cups now with the national team and i would love to have a keeper with that experience uh, she's still helping produce for the pride she's still got uh Got some left in the tank, even if she's getting a little bit up there in age, just a little bit. So I would go with Ashlyn Harris for mostly for the leadership of helping um, start a new team. All right. Uh, and I guess we'll flip-flop. So, Drew, who would be your pick, your first pick? Yeah, with my pick, I'm staying in the defense, although I'm going a little different route than Josh. I do think experience is valuable, but I'm going to pick a player that I think will be left unprotected. She's really good, um, but she's young, and I think she'll be a defender that is going to stick around for a while, and I think Louisville could build their franchise around, depending on if she stays playing as good as she is. And again, she's a young defender, so she's going to be there for a while. Um, but I'm going to say Tierna Davidson from the Chicago Red Stars. Uh, she's a center back, didn't get a whole lot of playing time in the World Cup, but she's a star in the NBSL. Um, her and Julie Ertz kind of lead the Chicago defense. So she's young. She has a really bright future ahead of her. I think she'll be starting for the women's national team here soon, maybe in this upcoming Olympics. So she's a young, really talented defender that I think if you grab her in the expansion draft, again, if she's left unprotected, uh, I think Louisville will be able to build a really solid defense around her for years to come. So she's young. She's really good. Um, I think she has a good future ahead of her. So I'm picking Tierna Davidson with my first pick in the draft if i'm louisville it, are you allowed to pick her since she's from chicago and they have oh my goodness protection. yes After holy cow yeah. race oh man we didn't mention that <laughs> oh yeah that's a mega bummer so oh man so we have to get outside chicago so if that trade didn't happen i would pick tierna davidson but that that trade did indeed happen can so. you update the fans uh on what well the yeah fans oh my goodness yeah we didn't even talk about happened? that <laughs> yeah so um yeah the crystal dunn trade from north carolina to portland was just was a couple of days ago maybe a week ago but today i think earlier this morning uh race in louisville got their first two players the team will expand 
starting NBSL in 2021. But they got Yuki Nagasato and Savannah McCaskill, I think is how you pronounce her name, um, from Chicago. And international roster spot for 2021 and 2022. And Chicago's fifth overall pick in the 2021 college draft. So Louisville got a lot from Chicago. But in return, Chicago is totally protected from the expansion draft. So like my example of picking Tieran Davidson, that can't happen because Chicago is done. They have nothing to worry about in the expansion draft because they gave up Nagasato and McCaskill. Uh, Nagasato played in the 2011 or 15 World Cup with Japan. Super good players. He's appeared in World Cup. So really good players. So that is why I cannot pick Tierna Davidson because that trade with Louisville and Chicago happened today. So Chicago totally protected from the expansion draft ever giving up all of that. That being said... Now, with my first, the real, the realistic first overall pick that I would have if I was Louisville, um, oh man, I think I'm kind of going to go the same route as Josh here with veteran experience in the back, um, but I'm going to go with Becky Sauerbrunn from Portland again, assuming Portland doesn't protect her, assuming she's not one of the two the Thorns choose to protect. Um, again, she's veteran, she's one of the best center backs in the world, she's won World Cups, and she's one end, I think she's won NWSL championship. No, she might have won NWSL championship. I'm not sure. But she's veteran. She knows what she's doing. She can bring in young defenders from that Louisville's going to get from this college draft, and she can uh, lead them. So when she does retire, um, they'll still have a solid defense. So with my first overall pick, I'm going to get Becky Sauerbrunn from the Portland Thorns. Josh, who would you take in your second pick if you were racing Louisville? So... Just from looking at the the list of players available, you have to take away Chicago's five players, and you have to assume that Sky Blue and Utah will protect their only two U.S. women's national team players. So that only leaves about, what is this, seven players available? Seven players available for you and I to pick from. So it doesn't leave me with a ton of options, and I would go between Megan Rapino and Emily Sonnet you know, Rupino's got the name and everything, but she's been dealing with so many injuries, it feels like, since winning the World Cup. Hasn't played a whole lot. But I think I would go with Emily Sonnet. Also, a defender, midfielder, kind of in and out. She is from, she was born in the same city as me, Marietta, Georgia. So going with the, going with the sort of familiar pick there. But I would go with Emily Sonnet. Young, again, she's got international experience from playing with the women's national team uh, but she's definitely right there in the prime of her career so I would be picking yet another Orlando Pride player with Emily Sonnet I'm curious to hear why you think O.L. Reign would pro- wouldn't protect Megan Arpino. she has been dealing with so many injuries since winning the World Cup last year and did she you know she opted out of the the summer tournament in Utah hasn't played with them in the fall series here she's also sort of getting up there in age as well and you know we've had discussions on this podcast about it but she's not really the best soccer player in the world even though she won the Ballon d'Or last year there were some other factors into that which of course you know I think she was deserving of the award but from a pure, a pure playing standpoint definitely not one of the best players in the league uh, so I 
you know, I, I think that's why she wouldn't get protected by them. And you have Rose Lavelle. She's an automatic protection, uh, even though she is overseas right now. So maybe that might factor in, into things a little bit. Not sure how teams are going to go with that. But if I was Earl Ryan, I'd protect Rose Lavelle. You just traded for her position, you know, for her in the league. And then Ali Long is still young, still very productive for that team. So I'd rather have her than Rapino at this point. So you don't think that the benefits of Megan Rapino's image and who she is outweigh the benefits of not protecting Allie Long? I don't think so, no. Drew, what do you think? I think that's a good point, but right, you think about having Rose Lavelle and obviously she doesn't have the name, image, and likeness thing that Megan Rapinoe's got going on, right, for being so outspoken. And I think most people in the country know who Megan Rapinoe is, even if they don't follow women's soccer. But like Josh said, I mean, when it comes down to it, right, you're trying to win championships. And she's getting old. Uh, She hasn't played that much in the NWSL. And it's interesting. Um, Again, like Josh said, Rose Lavelle is an automatic protect. Personally, I think she's the best player in the world. So it's interesting. But I think I see... I think I see where Josh is going. I think Rapino. I mean, if Louisville were to select her, she doesn't have that many years left in her, right? And again, there's just how many games we get out of her, right? If she gets called in for Olympics or anything like that. So I see I see where Josh is going. I think he's on the right track, yeah. I don't know if you'd select Megan Rapino for her play style, though. I think you sign her for her image and popularity because... Whatever she does, she's in the spotlight. And that gets a lot of eyes on people or on your team, not necessarily people. But I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Alala Rain do and whether or not they do let Ali Long go or Megan Rapino go. Do you think that it's almost a guarantee? I'll ask both of you this. Do you think it's almost a guarantee that one of those two players gets taken? I have no idea where racing Louisville are going to go with their picks. And like I was saying, there's like, there aren't really that many options when you take away the red stars and then each team protecting two of the players themselves. So that may happen. Louisville might not have any interest in either of those players. They might be looking, you know, at some of the other teams and some of the, some of the extra players that might be unprotected. So I guess we'll see, but yeah. Yeah, and for my second overall pick, this is a tough one. I'm sticking with Portland for my second pick, but it turns into a game of which player do I think Portland's going to protect. Um, I said Becky Sauerbrunn at first, and in their list, they just got Crystal Dunn, uh, so she's in the protected list. Crystal Dunn, Adriana French, Tobin Heath, Lindsay Horan, Becky Sauerbrunn. I'm tempted to say that they will not protect Tobin Heath out of that group so I'm gonna say Tobin Heath kind of similar to what Connor was saying I think any jersey with the name Heath on the back of it is gonna get sold like crazy and that's gonna get a lot of national attention and she's just good she's really good on the wing I think she's gonna score a goal she's gonna be productive but it's a battle because I don't know if they'll protect Tobin Heath or Lindsay Horan is pretty much where my mind is right now if they protect Tobin then I'm taking Lindsay if they protect Lindsay then I'm taking Tobin so because I'm leaning toward Portland protecting Lindsay more just because she's in the midfield and she's a little bit younger. I'm going to say if I was Louisville, I would take Becky Sauerbrunn and Tobin Heath for my two picks. So both 
I'm kind of robbing the Portland Thorns here, but I would take two Portland players if I'm Louisville. Do you think that there will be a trade before the expansion draft, before we move on to some MLS stuff? I believe the trade window is closed, right? There can't be any more trades? Yeah, and they said they would announce the rest of the trades like at a certain time yesterday. So I think we're done for right now. I don't know if that changes with like picks and like the college draft and if teams are trading picks for picks. But I think for right now we're done as far as like player transfers. All right. With that, let's talk MLS because we're an MLS podcast and we're about 25 minutes in minimum to this podcast. Um, but some big MLS news, surprising, but also not surprising. They reverted their decision on the supporter shield because everybody hated it. Although when I say everybody, apparently 11 supporters groups didn't hate it, which, okay, I guess. I, I don't know. Like it is what it is. I think they made the right decision to award the shield. Um, but at the same time, you, I can sort of see the other side of things. I just, I don't agree with it. And I want to ask you boys, do you think that the entire, or maybe not entire, but most of the, I guess board is what they'd call themselves of the supporter shield foundation. Should they resign? I don't. I don't think there needs to be that drastic measures taken. I don't, I don't think it needs to be that bad. I think, you know, like you just said. I mean, you can see the other side of where they were coming from. I think the way they handled the situation was really boneheaded. It sounds like communication was not very good, and so it took people by surprise. And maybe if the communication had been better, it would have never gone public that they were trying to not award the supporter shield, and you wouldn't have had all the the backlash. And maybe some people could have stepped in before that final decision was made, and we would have never come to this situation. But for all of them to resign, you know, I don't think it's that serious. Yeah, I'm on the same boat as you, Josh, because I don't know if the names of these board members have been published. Like, I'm not they sure have. they have. Okay, so people yeah, they're know. on the website. So people know. Um, but yeah, even then, I don't know if it's that drastic. Um, for them all to resign again they made a pretty boneheaded decision like we talked about last week and they corrected it it took pretty interesting defending of that decision for them to come to this point where they bring the shield back Um, but I don't think resigning is the answer to it so I don't I don't think it's that bad Um, again it was pretty bad decision and they had some interesting arguments as to defending it but I don't know if I would say resigning is the answer for this Interesting. Yeah, I think there are certain members who should resign based on what they've said on social media afterwards. Um, But I agree. I don't think it's necessarily something that they have to do. It's just unfortunate that certain members on social media aren't exactly respecting the decision and the roles, I guess, that some supporters groups took in pushing for this decision. Uh, But again, I think it was a dumb decision. I think it was 
very poorly handled and it's something that the supporters shield and the supporters involved are never going to get away from this is always going to be in the back back of people people's minds so they're going to have to put on quite the PR clinic which they have not done to date uh if they want to really regain the respect of supporters in my opinion but again that might be coming from my own bubble as a Toronto FC fan uh and of supporters who are contending and of a similar viewpoint of mine but again we'll see where it goes uh, and a similar way we're we'll see whether or not MLS is going to shift to a Brazilian schedule which are they sure that's a good idea I mean when you think about it there's always been the conversation I think of changing around the MLS schedule but I've always thought of it more as fitting with the European model, right, where it's August to May and you get that summer off. Um, because in World Cup years when the United States and other countries make it, always, there's always that kind of dilemma of players leaving MLS teams in the, to go play for their countries and coming back, and it's just a whole ordeal. But I think what's interesting about MLS that I think a lot of fans forget is that MLS not only is competing for in this global stage, right, they're competing, they're trying to be competitive with the EPL, La Liga, Bundesliga, and they're trying to work up that world staining, right? But they also have to compete with four other leagues in the United States. You have to battle for NHL viewership, MLB viewership, NBA, NFL viewership. So when MLS thinks of a schedule, they have to consider what are Americans watching, right? And then February, March, um, well, February is Super Bowl, kind of runs the show in February. Um, NBA is going on, starting to close down. And if you start in April, you're competing really with just baseball, right? There's a whole summer where it's just MLS and baseball. And I think when you talk about playing in New York City, right, in Yankee Stadium um, in April instead of these February games, I think it's an interesting proposition. I'm all for it. I haven't seen when the in, when MLS Cup would be if they were to shift the schedule. But I think this kind of helps compete with other sports better, and it helps with the weather given these outdoor stadiums and these pretty cold parts of the country so i'm all for it man so much to unpack with this uh first i haven't seen anything either about when mls cup would be so we don't know how you know quote unquote compressed the schedule might be all they've said is the start date i don't personally i don't care when the season is because like you said they're going to be battling viewership no matter what for example the NBA, they're not even going to start their games until Christmas at the earliest. Possibly MLK Day at the late at the latest is what they're talking about starting their next season, which means that's going to be shoved back back into the summer. Thankfully, NFL and it looks like MLB that's not really shifted, and then NHL they're what trying to start their season by January first, I think I saw. So that's also going to be shifted back. Whether or not that impacts MLS's decision to push things back to April. Who knows? It might just be because they had to push this season back. They had to push MLS Cup back a month. So you'd be pushing back the start of next season by a month. Here's my issue with it. I don't care when the games take place. I care how long the offseason is. Because if you have a three-month offseason, it means you're trying to fit 38-plus games into a nine-month window. And typically, as we saw last season when they tried that, when they pushed 
MLS Cup from December to November, we saw more midweek games and I think more frustration on the part of coaches and players having to deal with all that schedule compression. Also, players and coaches complaining about the length of the offseason. I think three months is too long for a soccer league to be having its offseason. Players in soccer, they need that rhythm. They need they need structure and routine to keep up their fitness in a healthy way and in a, in a sort of different way from these other sports leagues because so many other substitutions can take place in those games, in those sports. So I think you run the risk of, of still having schedule compression, and that personally bothers me a lot. I think they should just still start in February, March. You'd still have the months off. Now here's another issue that none of us have brought up yet. Uh, CCL. If CCL is still mid-February as its start, you are now asking teams to come out of their offseason even earlier in an even fresher state and asking them to get up to fitness and to compete with these Mexican teams and to compete to win CCL, which the most ambitious teams in the league, that's what they want. So I think that's counterintuitive to that. Although, again, that might have something to do with them waiting until April because there are talks of CCL coming back in December. So the whole thing still seems very up in the air. Again, I don't care when the season starts, when it ends. I really could not care any less about it. What I care about is how long the offseason is going to be. My biggest issue with this potential schedule is when is MLS Cup and one of the playoffs because I'm from Canada and I know December gets cold as well as January and February. So what are you going to do? We've already done MLS Cup a couple times in December and that wasn't exactly pleasant viewing experience in the negative 10 degree weather, but I guess if they want to push it late and want to start in April, I'm not going to complain about going to games in April as opposed to February or March because it is warmer, but at the same time, it means you're pushing games later in the season, and that runs the risk of the cold and of snow and of everything along those lines, but it's going to be very interesting to see what MLS chooses to do and whether or not they go with the schedule Um, because they do have quite a lot of international events coming up in the next two years. You know, we got the Euros next summer. Uh, We got the Olympics next summer. We also have the World Cup in 2022. So does this become a two-year stopgap to maybe try to find a solution around that? Or does this negatively affect that? And I think MLS really has to consider the positives and the negatives for this because it could really make or break the next three seasons, ultimately. And with the amount of growth and with where MLS and the rest of the league and world is right now in the middle of a literal pandemic, is it worth risking changing something that you already know works and you know is going to be successful? So it's going to be interesting to see what they're doing. I'm interested to see what MLS comes up with and what MLS decides. And if you couldn't tell, I'm trying to stall for as long as possible because I don't want to talk about our next topic, Um, which is unfortunately that Philadelphia-Toronto game. 
which if there's one word to describe it, it's pain. Uh, I'll let you two go first because I want to hear what you have to say around that so I can defend my team. Uh, but what did you guys think about that game? Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how you defend Toronto after that performance because we talked, we hyped it up a lot. I think one of us picked it as our game to watch for the week because it had such big shield implications. I think Josh picked it as his game to watch for the week. And it was a really entertaining game, but not for the reasons I think we thought. It was, honestly, it could have, it should have been worse than five. I thought Philadelphia left chances. Um, Toronto made some really impressive saves, but it just, I, I don't know if Toronto, like, there were just some moments where, and I'm sure Connor will talk about Toronto center backs again, as he always does, but Philadelphia just, they caught, I think, Simone, it was the second goal. He was just sleeping, and he let the Philadelphia Union player get right in front of him for the goal. Um, the first goal, I forgot who crossed it. It was a really good cross. He got... I think it was Lagner. Yeah, he crossed it, and he found the space in between Gonzalez and Simone for a really good ball. But And then it was... um. Sergio Santos, I think, scored that banger goal, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the episode. But it was just off a terrible Toronto giveaway in their in the in Philadelphia's final third, and then Philadelphia passed the ball around, and then he hits a banger from outside the box. So I just don't know if Toronto realized how big of a deal this was. The good news, I guess, if I'm being a little optimistic about Toronto's performance, is that this feels like a game where Toronto just forget about it, throw it away, and come back next week. I'm not sure who they play next week. But it was just dumb errors that you're giving the ball away in your own third of the field, and you're playing one of the best teams in the league who now I think is in the lead for the supporter shield. So they're going to make you pay for it. And defending was just casual. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. So credit to Philadelphia Union. Again, it should have been worse than five. I think it very well could have been seven to nothing. But... Good news for Toronto. I think this is a performance that you just don't talk about. You throw it away. And I'm not worried about it yet. If we see anything like this for their next game, then I think we have reason to be concerned. But I go back. I know this isn't decision day, but I go back to Atlanta getting smacked by Toronto to lose a supporter shield before going to win MLS Cup. So maybe you could use this as if they do go on to lose supporter shield to Philadelphia Union this game is going to be a huge reason because they don't win supporter shield if they don't um I think Greg Vanny and the team can use this as a match to kind of motivate them for a run in the playoffs so I'm not totally worried about Toronto yet I think this could be a good thing but it was just lackluster defending, pretty sleepy. It didn't look like they knew it was a big game at all, and Philadelphia Union made them pay for it for sure. A couple couple small thoughts about this. Uh, first thing, I did predict Philadelphia to beat Toronto. A few podcasts ago we talked about, oh, we think Toronto's going to win the Supporters' Shield. We think you know they're on this undefeated run. Who can knock them off? And just want to say I picked Philadelphia, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, second thing... I do think it's fair to point out that Toronto are dealing with a lot of injuries. They don't have necessarily a full strength eleven. Oh, so don't I, worry, I, I'll list them in a second for you. <laughs> so I and you know we did talk about it last week's podcast as well after their game against Atlanta. You know I do think that that's a little bit of a factor. That being said, Drew is right. Toronto looked like they wanted no part of that game. Now 
I didn't again. I didn't get a chance to really watch it or follow along as it was happening because I didn't have signal this weekend. I was able to get on Twitter for a moment that night, and I did see everyone losing their minds about just how awful Toronto was and just how cutthroat Philadelphia was. And I did watch the 15-minute match on the MLS app uh, to just sort of catch up. And Drew is absolutely right. It should have been like 15 nothing. Like Philly had all these open shots, and they were just missing them by like a few feet here or there. And yeah, I mean, you know, if there was one team I could say Toronto looked like, it's Atlanta. They looked like Atlanta United out there. No drive, just looked like a lack of talent. Even if it's not the case, it just looked like they couldn't match Philadelphia. And then one other thing I want to circle back to, something Drew said. You know, Drew, you're talking about Toronto beating Atlanta on the final day of decision, on decision day in 2018 to keep Atlanta from getting the Supporters Shield. But Truthfully, in that season, they lost the Supporters' Shield back during that Red Bulls game on September, I think it was 20th that year. They lost 2 nothing. That was the real moment that Atlanta United lost the Supporters' Shield because Red Bull was on fire. They demoralized Atlanta. They kept staying on fire and winning their games. And it was Atlanta's to lose, but it kind of felt like after that game, they didn't look so good. Granted, the Toronto game was a little bit of a wake-up call for the playoffs, but beside the point. So maybe this is that same thing, right? Because Red Bull and Atlanta, they were going for the Sports Shield in 2018. Here are Philadelphia and Toronto, the two biggest challengers. Maybe this could be that swinging moment where Philadelphia, you know, vanquishes the, the last big beast in front of them and they cruise all the way to the Supporters Shield. So those are my thoughts. Connor, it's time. Let's hear him. Here's the reason I'm not worried or that upset with this loss. Chris Mavinga, Pablo Piatti, Iowa Canola, Josie Altador, Chris Mavinga. Those are five bona fide starters would start on, in my opinion, every single team in the league. I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, I didn't even include... Jonathan Orzorio is on that list too. So when you're missing six of your best players, when you're playing without a striker... When your defensive pairing is Omar Gonzalez and Laura Simal, like you're just you're not going to win games. And when you're playing the second team in the league, that's what's going to happen. So it doesn't bother me. Like I thought I'd be upset losing five nothing, but you started Erickson Gallardo. Like, what were you expecting? Um, while it is disappointing, and while it's unfortunate that we're now tied for the top of the standings with Philadelphia beating us, I believe, on goal differential, uh, which they're definitely going to win because I think they're sitting at plus 22 and we're sitting at plus 8. What really worries me is the fact that A, Gallardo was so terrible. Uh, B, everything Vanny seemed to do just didn't do anything. And... That's worrisome. I like that they played the kids. I loved seeing Jaquiel Marshall-Rudy. Uh, I love seeing Priso. Um, I love seeing those t- two guys get some time and see what they can do. And I thought Jaquiel Marshall-Rudy looked really good um, for you two who don't know who he is. He's a 16-year-old, and he's the youngest player to ever play a match for Toronto FC. And he looked really really good Uh, his touch is so nice he can dribble the ball he can shoot Uh, his control is again just as good Uh, but again it's tough to lose a game like that and it's tough to lose 
five nothing. But at the end of the day, you're missing six starters. So any team, no matter who they are, if it's Real Madrid playing Barcelona and they're missing six starters, they're going to lose. So I don't take this in a really negative light because, again, what are you going to do? One other thing I want to add to that is these two teams are tied on points and anything can happen in these final three games and neither team has a competitive advantage in my opinion in terms of who they're playing philadelphia have chicago at home this wednesday columbus on the road this sunday and then new england at home on decision day those are none of those games is an easy game chicago while extremely inconsistent if they come with their best game they could give philadelphia a run and then there's also Columbus, who have looked dominant many times this season. And then New England, they're not an easy opponent. And then for Toronto, you have New York City FC, Inter-Miami, Red Bulls, NYCFC, that could go either way. Miami, they'll be f- probably fighting for a playoff spot. So while Toronto would probably win, maybe maybe Miami might steal a point. And then Red Bulls, again, you never really know what you're going to get with them at this point. So... I do think it's going to come down probably to decision day, whether or not it's because one of these teams has dropped points or because they're both trying to win to get the shield and maybe it comes down to goal differential. Either way, I think it's going to be a very fun race to the end. And even though Toronto sort of got embarrassed on Saturday night, I don't think they're out of the race yet or anything close to it, especially with how close things are in between these teams. Uh, But moving on to another big game from this week, this one, Western Conference implications. Portland Timbers uh, played against the Seattle Sounders. I can't remember where this game took place. I want to say in Seattle. But that game finished, uh, like I said, 1-1 draw. What? I'll, I'll start with you first, Drew. What are your thoughts? I think this was your game of the week, too. What were your thoughts on this game? And as a matter of fact, Sporting Kansas City have now leapfrogged both of these teams and are now first in the West. One of the things I noticed, maybe Portland's figured Seattle out. What are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I think you're right when you say that. It feels like Portland have figured Seattle out because I think in the past three, Portland have two wins and one draw. And in this game, I don't. I think it was in those three games that they've played that Portland has played Seattle. The Timbers have scored in the first 15 minutes in every single one of those games, and they did it again. This week, um, I think it was the 10th minute. Yeah, Flores scored in the 10th minute, and then Will Bruin got the late equalizer for Seattle in extra time. Uh, but what stuck out to me was, obviously, Sebastian Blanco's not there. But this game was out, Jeremy Abobasi. He was out with a concussion, I think, but he didn't play. So they're missing uh, Sebastian Blanco, arguably their best player, and Jeremy Abobasi, a really good striker that is kind of on the come up from after a really strong MLS's back performance and just the way he's been playing lately. So they're missing out of those two really good players and they still managed to get a draw on the road against one of the best teams in the league. And I think we mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago where they're not a whole lot of teams, if any teams where you could take the best player off the field and still get points in this situation like Portland does without Sebastian Blanco. And then you take away their striker and Jeremy Bobasi, they're still able to get a point in Seattle. Um, I know it's not the normal Cascadia rivalry, but still, I feel like going to Seattle and getting a point in any situation is a point well earned. Um, 
But yeah, Portland did exactly what they do. Every time these teams play, they score early. They let Seattle have the ball. I think I'm looking at the stats right now. Seattle finished with 59% possession. Um, only one shot on target. They had 15 shots and only one on target. So Portland let them have the ball, uh, and they defended well. And Seattle didn't look like they could break down that line. Eventually, they did break through, though, getting that late equalizer. But I think it's a point well earned for Portland. Um, I don't think either of these two teams are chasing Supporter Shield. Uh, I think they're just trying to get the best position, which, again, Sporting Kansas City leapfrogging them after it finally feels like SKC made their way into the podcast. We don't talk about them a whole lot, but they had a really big win this weekend. So I think it's a good point for Portland to earn, given the injuries that they went through. I'm not sure of status, but not having him and Blanco to get a point and do what they do best against Seattle. They score early, let them have the ball, and defend well. So I was impressed by Portland's performance. Um, yeah, a point well earned on the road. Connor, did you catch the game, or what did you think about Portland getting a point in Seattle? I didn't catch the game. Uh, the only other MLS game I watched, apart from the Toronto ones, was the end of the Galaxy LAFC game when Vela was subbed on, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a little bit. Um, maybe when we're mentioning the standings, but I think this is a huge draw for Portland because they stay even on points with Seattle. Uh, even though Seattle has a game in hand, uh, they're still very in the picture for topping the Western Conference. You know, there's one point separating third to first. So I think this could be a huge turning point for them. And I think, you know, doing it without Jeremy Obobese and doing it without Sebastian Blanco, who we've mentioned is out numerous time on this podcast and are, we're all still every week shocked that they're able to do what they do without him. It's incredibly impressive. And this win or this draw, sorry, which I think they should consider a win, getting a point against one of the best teams in the league. It's huge for them, and I think that's my biggest takeaways personally from this match. Uh, Josh, do you have anything you want to add? I think the only thing I'll add is, that as we've sort of been sitting here talking about it, I think this is kind of a loss for Portland because they were winning for most of the game. So to give up that late goal kind of stings a little bit, especially from that standing st- you know, perspective because, yeah, you know, you're still in second and you're on, you're, you're even on points with Seattle, but you still have to worry about sporting Kansas City. You've got LAFC hot on their heels. They're only a couple points behind them now. And just from looking at the last four games for these teams, I, I think Portland's got a little bit harder of a schedule. They, these teams actually play the same exact teams, except. Seattle ends the season with San Jose and Portland ends the season on the road to LAFC. So the other three games for these teams are LA Galaxy, Vancouver, and Colorado. And I, you know, you want to say that both of these teams, Seattle and Portland, can take nine points from those games. So it might come down to those decision day games where you have San Jose and Seattle and then Portland and LAFC. So I think the advantage goes to Seattle. That point, that late last minute goal might come back to bite portland in the long run yes connor they both have four games left yeah these are mostly because of the postponements with colorado and having to reschedule games around so portland are finishing with one more game than seattle then Uh, are they well portland are currently sitting at 19 matches played seattle are sitting at 18 yeah must be i mean again colorado they had to cancel a couple of the games i don't think they're going to get all of them in 
because of the rest of the season. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. Hmm. I didn't realize that. That's really messed the schedule up then. Cause there are some teams in the Western conference who are sitting at 20, uh, Houston, San Jose, Vancouver, are the three teams sitting at 20. So that's very interesting. I'm Seattle, yeah, mo- I'm- most teams just have three games left, but these guys have four because of those Colorado postponements. Wow. If I'm Seattle, I'm not very happy playing fewer games, but maybe they change it to points percentage, which we've talked about in the podcast. And It'll be interesting to see just how the season finishes and whether or not they do it based off points percentage uh, because that won't really affect San Jose, Vancouver, who are in just the absolute thick of it in terms of the fight for the playoffs but it could be fairly big for i don't know how many games rsl have left but they have um i guess a game in hand uh sitting at 22 points and colorado quietly sitting second from the bottom of the league somehow ahead of la galaxy uh with 19 points only three points back of rsl uh Five points back is San Jose, Vancouver. It's the Western Conference bottom of the playoffs are very interesting right now. And this game made it just as much interesting. The Vancouver beating San Jose 2-1. What do you guys think about that game? I don't know who wants to go first. Josh, how about you go first? Yeah, you know, I just wanted to show a little love to Vancouver. We were talking about them last week and three of us were discussing whether or not we think they would make the playoffs or San Jose or RSL. So really, really, really huge performance for the Whitecaps to pick up three points. Uh, Some fantastic goals in that one, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But uh, Vancouver coming away with the win over San Jose is huge. Just as Connor mentioned, they're both at 24 points now. They're both in the playoffs for the time being. San Jose's got a really big game against RSL this, this Wednesday. RSL is two points back in ninth place from San Jose. So really big for Vancouver to sort of pull themselves up into the playoffs and get even. Still hoping they can make the playoffs because I think it would just be incredible if the Vancouver Whitecaps made the playoffs. Um, Like I said, my heart wants them in. My brain says they won't make it, but we'll see. A win over San Jose is a fantastic start. Drew, what do you take away from that match? Yeah, I think I'm on the similar plane as you, Josh, because you look at the games that Vancouver has left and look at them right now. They have Seattle tomorrow, Portland on Sunday and they close the day with the LA Galaxy which funny enough the Galaxy are one of the few teams below Vancouver in the Western Conference but these next two games against Portland and Seattle are going to be super big and it's hard to imagine Vancouver getting three points from either of those two games Um, so it feels like San Jose and the Galaxy are two games that you that three points are a must in both those games so to see them come back from a goal down um, Ali Adnan had a super awesome free kick, which we'll talk about later. And then I think Toussaint Ricketts got the game winner not much longer after Adnan's free kick. But yeah, I think if it's a hard ask of Vancouver to make the playoffs, given playing Seattle and Portland back to back in such close proximity with the games playing tomorrow, and they play November first, so they play on a Tuesday and a Sunday against two of the best teams in the Western Conference. It's pretty, It's hard. If they escape with a point out of either of those two games, I think it's a win for them just because Seattle and Portland are so good. But 
this game against the Galaxy, which is on decision day, and this win against San Jose are two games that they had to get three points, I think, to stay alive in the playoff picture. So it's a really good start that they got it in a pretty awesome way coming back in, some, in a really good goal. So, I again, I'm still not... It's hard to say Vancouver's going to make the playoffs. I want them to. I want to have a team to support in the playoffs. I have my Whitecaps jersey in my closet ready to go. Um, so we'll see. I think it's pretty hard to ask of them to make the playoffs given Portland, Seattle, but getting three points against San Jose was a must, and they did it. So that's a good start, and I think they'll have to do it again against the Galaxy for sure. What did you think about Vancouver's win, Connor? I think this could potentially come back down to decision day in terms of who makes playoffs. And Vancouver have LA Galaxy. So for going based off history and the fact that the Galaxy suck, that should be an easy win for them. So I think this just makes the entire Western Conference that much more interesting. Uh, But again, who knows? The entire end of the season is just insane and makes no sense at all how they're going to do the standings but yeah it's just interesting finish good win for Vancouver the fact that it keeps them in it and yeah I don't really have much more to add uh do you want to move on to players of the week all right uh I guess I'll go uh we'll start with who actually won the player of the week which was Sergio Santos from Philadelphia which obviously he got a hat trick against Toronto um, which is why he's also my player of the week. But you two went a little bit off board. So who did you guys pick for your goals of the week? Or not goals of the week. We'll get to goals of the week in a second. Players of the week. Yeah, so I originally was just going to kind of skip over this segment and say because I didn't watch the games, I didn't feel comfortable picking a player, didn't really know to pick, was probably just going to default to Santos, you know, the hat trick, obviously. But... Because I hate myself and because the team I love is sucking right now, I'm going to pick DC United's uh, Gailman Rivas, who scored the game-winning goal over Atlanta United in stoppage time. It was Rivas' first career MLS goal. So please, name a better duo than Atlanta United in conceding first-ever MLS goals to opposing players. So Rivas gets my player of the, player of the week for me. Self-loathing. Drew, what about you? Yeah, I'm sticking in the Eastern Conference. I'm saying Maxi Morales. It's my player of the week. He scored a goal in NYCFC's 3-1 win over Montreal. It was NYCFC's first win in three matches. They lost to New England, Columbus, and they drew with Orlando City. Um, This was Morales' first full 90 minutes in over a month. I think his last full 90 came against a nil-nil draw with DC United on September 7th. So good to see him back out there fully fit and to see him get a goal for NYCFC, a team that's struggling right now, um, is really good. So hopefully, obviously such a big talent in this league. And to see him fully fit and scoring goals right now is really awesome to see. And hopefully he'll carry into the playoffs. So Maxi Morales got my vote for player of the week. Um, now we'll go into goal in the week. Uh, so my goal of the week, going back to Vancouver, I said Ali Adnan's free kick against San Jose. It was the equalizer in like the 51st minute. Um, the commentator, before the goal happened, the commentator was like, I think it's too far out for a shot here, but let's see what happens. 
And then like midway in the air, the commentator was like, that's a pretty good effort. And right after that hits the back of the net and they freak out. So I thought it was a good goal. Um, we've talked about Ali not a lot in this podcast, given how good he is, but the fact that he's not really a defender, he's just an attacking midfielder that they slot as a defender on their roster website. Um, but I thought it was a really good free kick. So I, my goal of the week is Ali Anand's free kick against San Jose. Uh, Connor, what was your goal of the week this week? Well, you say you slot Ali Adnan, or they slot Ali Adnan as a defender, but all they do is use him as a defender, which boggles me my mind because he can't defend. But if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And if he can score goals like that every game, why not? Uh, it's just he never really does that. But my goal of the week is following in the footsteps of Josh's self-deprecating player of the week pick. I'm going with Sergio Santos's First goal against Toronto off that insane Wagner cross, which the fact that he got that past Omar Gonzalez, whose real specialty is supposed to be aerials, that was impressive. Uh, So you got to give props where props are due. And I think this is the second time my goal of the week has been against Toronto FC following the New York Red Bulls, uh, Caden Clark strike, which... Again, can teams stop scoring nice goals against me, please? That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, Josh, who did you pick? Yeah, so I originally was going to pick that first Santos goal because the whole play was great. And then I kept watching the 15-minute replay and saw Philadelphia's third goal against Toronto, which Drew mentioned briefly earlier was when Kasper Shabilko came and stole the ball off a Toronto defender in the attacking third. They barely made it up the field. It was hilarious. And he cut it back across. Brendan Aronson played a splendid dummy. And Montero took a little setup touch, popped it right over Westberg, hit the underside of the crossbar. And to me, those are like the most satisfying goals to witness when they barely sneak in underneath and you see him smack down inside the goal. So very, very fun goal for a neutral to see. Definitely my goal of the week. They're great to watch when they're not against your team. Oh, totally understandable. It's the best way to put that. But I have to agree, that was an insane goal. And obviously, as we mentioned, had insane implications on the standings with Philadelphia and Toronto tied atop the East with 41 points. Uh, Columbus is coming in third at 35, and they're still two points up against the best team in the West, who are SKC, sitting at 33 points, and then Seattle, Portland, who we mentioned earlier, are tied at 32. So this is really... Probably a two-horse race, depending on what Columbus can do against Philadelphia on the weekend. Maybe we can turn it into a three-horse race, but from the looks of it, right now, I think it's between Philadelphia-Toronto to win Supporter Shield, but it's going to be incredibly interesting to see just how the season finishes. Do you, either of you have any comments on the standings you want to make before we get to our games to watch? I did want to comment on SKC's 4 nothing win, I think, over Colorado to leapfrog them into first place in the West. we've ta- I think we talked about it last week. We can never really talk about supporting Kansas City, but there they are in the top three every week. So good to see them get a big win against Colorado. And we kind of just assumed it was going to be Seattle-Portland pulling away in this Western Conference. And then after that draw, opened up the door for sporting to make some noise and get the first place spot. So credit to sporting getting a really big win and putting them in first place in the West. But that's my only takeaway from the standings for this week. Yeah, I just want to piggyback off of Drew mentioning Sporting Kansas City. I'm still not convinced by them. I still think they're a super fluky, inconsistent team. I have no idea how they're in first place. It's incredible. They just 
that flyover club we were talking about. So I think that also beating up on a team that hasn't played in a month isn't really anything to be hyped up about. I mean, good job. You got your three points, and that's excellent. However, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Seattle-Portland. And like we were just mentioning, they have that game in hand over Sporting Kansas City, I believe. So amazing that they've made it this far. Don't see it lasting much longer. That's the only thing I want to add. Yeah, and we should mention the gap between Portland LAFC, who are in fourth, or four points. So it's going to be a tight finish either way. Uh, and LAFC got that big win against the Galaxy on the weekend where Carlos Vela returned. So that was a huge, huge addition uh, for them to have him back. So we'll see how they finish the season with a fresh Carlos Vela who's barely played uh, this year. But let's get into our games to watch and wrap up the podcast because we've been going for a while. Um, who wants to go first with their game of the week? So my first one, this also still ties into the Sporter Shield and everything. I'm picking the New York City FC Toronto match on Wednesday night. I am super intrigued as to how this is going to go down. If you were to just ask me randomly, hey, NYC FC versus Toronto in a match, who are you taking? I would take Toronto very quickly, very easily. I feel like between these two teams, it's always Toronto that comes out. I feel like they're sort of a boogeyman for New York City FC. So that being said, I think this Wednesday's game is going to be super interesting. Both teams are coming off, you know, in, in New York City's case, they're coming off a really big win over Montreal, helping them stay afloat in the playoffs. Like Drew just mentioned, they've got Maxi Morales back now, helping them out in a big way. And Toronto wants to forget about that game against Philadelphia. This is the perfect opportunity for them to bounce back against another Eastern Conference contender. So I, there's just so many things going on in play with this. And you can even go back to MLS's back where somehow New York City FC destroyed Toronto, knocked them out of that tournament. So, you're, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that Toronto might want a little bit of revenge mixed in as well. So that's my uh, game to watch this week between those two Eastern Conference opponents. Yeah, I am swinging to the West. Uh, not so much supporter shield, but just playoff picture in general. Uh, I am picking San Jose Earthquakes versus Real Salt Lake, and I am currently trying to figure out when exactly. I think it's a Wednesday night game, but just the fact that these two teams are right there in the playoff picture um, has really big implications for the Whitecaps as well. I think about who gets in that final eight spot um, because right now San Jose has that final eight spot, but RSL is right behind them with 22 points, but they've played one less game, right? So RSL has played 19 games. San Jose and Vancouver have played 20 matches, both San Jose and Vancouver, both with 24 points. So this is a really interesting game just about, you know, points are a premium at this point in the season. Um, Again, these three teams are battling it out. And FC Dallas isn't that far ahead of these teams, only one point ahead, but they have two games in hand over Vancouver and San Jose. So I'm picking RSL and San Jose just because of the playoff image. Um, and who gets that final 7-8 spot, and who gets out of this group of three teams. I feel like that's pushing for those final spots. Who gets the final two spots in, and who gets left out? So I'm picking San Jose Earthquakes and RSL for my game to watch this week. Connor, which game are you paying attention to this week? I am paying attention to the Columbus-Philadelphia game. Uh, It's the Sunday afternoon game, so it'll be the only game on at the time, and it'll have huge shield implications as to whether or not Philadelphia continue to pull 
ahead and stay ahead or whether or not Columbus can gain a little bit of ground and maybe open the door for Toronto to pull that much uh, further ahead. Um, But I think it's going to be a good clash between two very good teams and hopefully a good finish. But with that, I think that's everything. So, Drew, why don't you take us out? Yeah, I think we got everything. Thanks again so much as usual for sticking around and listening to us talk about MLS, NWSL, U.S. soccer, and just all things soccer going on right now. We really do appreciate you guys listening. Um, And as usual, please visit the website, MLSMultiplex.com, as our writers and contributors are cranking out really awesome stuff as the regular season winds down, but we get ready for playoffs. So please, please visit MLSMultiplex.com to follow your favorite team or just a wide variety of teams. Our writers are definitely on it. Um, And visit MLSMultiplex on Twitter at MLSMultiplex. Um, you can find us on Twitter, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, and Connor at CWG Somerville to catch all of our takes about MLS games as they happen. Um, and as always, please leave reviews about the podcast um, on the website or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We really love hearing what you guys think and how we can improve the podcast. We always love hearing back from you guys. So thanks again so much for listening. Uh, Be sure to visit the website and we will see you all again next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors written work at MLSMultiplex.com. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.